our children's disabilities and medical complexities just affect every aspect of our lives, right? So it's either going to make it so like you're kind of forced to quit or you choose to quit because you know that that's best for them or whatever, or you're working and it's a struggle. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today, licensed therapist and disability mom, Amanda Griffith Atkins, is back for a meaningful conversation about the ways that our careers and family roles have been altered, sometimes completely from our expected trajectories. Maybe your career came to a screeching halt as you discovered your child's extra care needs. Or perhaps you've managed to somehow keep your job and at least a bit of your sanity, but you're totally burnt out trying to do it all, and your career has certainly taken a bit of a blow. Regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, this episode is for you. In prep for this episode, I polled the community on my Instagram stories, and the feedback was full of resentment and sadness and even deep grief. It is my sincere hope that you'll come away from this episode with uplifting solidarity, with some major validation for the tough emotions that you have surrounding this topic, and maybe even some ideas for finding light at the end of the tunnel regarding your career, whether it be in the coming months or decades. For newer listeners who are unfamiliar with the lovely Amanda Griffith Atkins, I'll introduce her really quick and then we'll hop right in. This is Amanda's ninth episode on The Rare Life. She's become a dear friend and has been so helpful in tackling these types of episodes with me. If you are interested in binging all the Amanda episodes, check out the links in the show notes. Amanda is also a member of the Rare Life Board of Directors, which I am so grateful for. She is based in the Chicago area and has three boys, the oldest of which has a rare condition called Prader-Willie syndrome. She owns her own therapy practice, which will actually be very relevant to our topic today and you will hear more about. Amanda is a lover of lush bath bombs and of watching anything about the paranormal. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Amanda. Welcome back to the show. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Our favorite repeat guest. I don't even know if you count as a guest at this point, but (laughs) happy to have you. I'm super excited to tackle this topic of careers being impacted by our children's disabilities because holy cow, people have opinions. Like this is a really big deal to people. And I don't think I realized that when we picked it as a topic until I opened it up to people to contribute. And we got a lot. There's a lot of emotions around this. So I'm excited to dive in. I would love to start out with how this topic is relevant to you in your life and how it has impacted you. Yeah, this is huge. I was so excited when you asked me to do this episode in particular, because I feel like my story is probably kind of common. Most of the listeners know my son Asher is 14 now. He has Prader-Willi syndrome. And when he was born, I had just finished my master's degree. So I had relatively normal pregnancy, got pregnant right after graduate school. It's kind of a surprise pregnancy and had the daycare picked out, was planning on being a full-time working parent and was also, I think, over $70,000 in debt with student loans. So my plan was I'm going to work and 
we'll have this baby. I'll put him in daycare, pick the daycare that was really close to my office so that I could pop over and nurse in between sessions. I'm a therapist. And that entire plan got completely uprooted as soon as he was born. You know, so for starters, like many of our listeners, children, he spent about a month in the NICU. And so right away, that's four weeks of my 12-week maternity leave that was different from what I expected. And so around, I think, 12 weeks, my job, this was right in the midst of the recession in 2009 as well. And so they told me that they were making layoffs and that my position had been let go. So we were faced with this sort of hard decision at this point, like, do I go find a different job or do I take this as like a sign or something that I need to stay home. So we decided that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom and manage all of his therapies and doctor's appointments and medical stuff while my husband obviously went and worked full-time. And so at the time, it really felt sort of like a blessing because it was like, okay, the decision was made for me. I basically lost my job. I got a small severance, was able to I think, keep my health insurance for a little while, all that stuff. But it also forced me to make a really hard decision, which was that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was not planning on doing that. And so long story short, I ended up staying home with him and then my second son for a little over three years. And I'm so excited to dig into all of this today because it was really one of the hardest times of my life. Like, I do not thrive being a stay-at-home mom it's very overwhelming for me. I have a lot of anxiety around, like, especially when Asher was little, managing his medical stuff, managing all the demands. And at the same time, I can't imagine doing it any other way. I think we'll probably dig into this today, but like, if you decide to work, how do we find trustworthy childcare? Who is taking our kids to therapy? Are we communicating with the therapist? Are we communicating with specialists? Like all these things that demand a parent to stay home, basically. But here I am, you know, 12 years later after staying home, and I have a really thriving career that really satisfies me. And we've been able to find balance. But again, so grateful for good childcare and schools and therapists that can work around our schedules. So that's sort of my story. And I would love to hear yours too, if you feel open to sharing it, or if you feel like it would be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I loved hearing your experience with that. Like, I feel like what you said sounds exactly like what one of the listeners was saying. She was like, we had the daycare all picked out. We were ready to go. I was like, full-time going to work. My child was going to be in the child care. And then the child was born, right, with, with medical issues. I'm like, the daycare will not accept them. I have to stay home now to take care of my child. And so going from going to be working full-time to being home. I think that contrast is like, that's such a huge shift. And I mean, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom personally. Mm -hmm. I already was with Wendy. And so I think there was a lot of transition in like, oh, medical life. But I imagine that like if you anticipated like working full-time and the difference between that and like medical caregiving full-time is so different. Definitely. And there was... And this could be a whole different episode. We always say that. Oh, this would be a whole other episode. <laughs> but there was such deep resentment to my husband too, because I was like, oh, he gets to keep mm -hmm. his job. You know, it's not me versus him. Years later, I've been able to be like, I'm grateful that he had and has his job. But at the time it kind of felt like, oh, he gets to keep his job and leave every day. And I have to stay here 
and deal with this. And this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. And that definitely came up with a lot of people was like, I resent the fact that like it was just assumed that I would be the one <laughs> leaving my career and my yeah. husband would stay working. Like, why does it have to be me? And was it always women? I'm curious in the responses, were there any there men was that were compared? One man, I think. And honestly, I'm like, oh, you're awesome because he was talking about how it's really difficult for him to work because he's going to appointments like with his wife and his son and, you know, the hospitalization. So I'm like, that's really cool that he's involved in a way that that does impact his career. So I think it is difficult too, you know, whether you're the breadwinner, like working full time, or if you're a stay at home mom or stay at home dad or whatever it is, it's both difficult, but just in different ways. But there definitely is a lot of resentment, I think, towards that traditional gender role that like expects Uh women to be the default parent. And even the women who are working, they're like, and I'm the default parent. So I'm also doing all the therapies and stuff because I'm I'm mom, which right. that's sucky too. <laughs> right. So it sort of just puts people in this position that they feel like they really had no choice and that they really have to be there in order to support their mm-hmm. child. But it comes with all of these hard emotions and sacrifices. Yeah. And then also there were definitely people who spoke up about like, well, my job made the most. So I was the one who kept working. Yeah, I guess I'm throwing that in there. Like, we're not saying that that's the only case, right? That's going to be flipped sometimes too. But I think for the most part, as far as in our little case study, and this topic is interesting because it's an issue that a lot of like women struggle with outside of disability parenting, right? But it's just like this intensified like version because of it and, you know, lack of childcare and things like that. So definitely. And I also wanted to hit on the school debt. That is something I actually have like this little bullet point about that because that's something that was also a very sore spot for people where they're like, I just completed like graduate school. I got my doctorate. I'm in mountains of debt. And I was like, cool, now I get to start my career or I just started my career and it was going great. And then like the brakes were completely hit and I don't know if I'll go back. Like, I don't know if I can. Yes, I felt that strongly. And I mean, I ended up deferring my loans for the years that I stayed home, but even deferring your loans, you're like, okay, I'm deferring my loans, but they're not going anywhere. They're still there. And at some point I'm gonna have to face them. It really just feels so unfair at that point, because like, there was definitely a point where I was like, if I would have known this would have happened, would I have still gotten my degree? Yeah. Like if I would have known I was going to give birth to a disabled child, would I still have went Now the answer is yes, for sure. Now that I'm more removed from it. But if you would have asked me that question in 2010, I'm sure I would have said, absolutely not. Like this was such a waste of my time and money. Yeah. I would have went to nursing school or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Give me, yeah. Go to like special ed or something. Yes, exactly. Become a teacher. This is just such a layer of the grief, right? Because this is just one more thing that you have this expectation of like what your life is going to be like and for it to suddenly be turned on its head and be like, actually, that's not really an option anymore. Or sure, you can keep working, but like it's going to be really hard (laughs) to keep doing that more than, you know, your colleagues. And so that was something that people talked about a lot was feeling devastated yeah, and grieving that and resenting that. And I feel like this is all very familiar. Like this is just like one flavor or I guess one reason that we grieve. That's right. And now I have sort of the opposite. Now that I'm well established in my career and it's something that I spend a lot of time on and has a lot of demands on me, I can totally feel the struggles of what it feels like to be a working parent too. And that's not easy either. You know, we, I think either party sort of feels like, oh, the other one probably has it better. Like when I'm working full-time, I'm thinking, oh, 
parents that are home full-time, like, man, that would be so nice to be able to really be attentive at your child's therapies and really be intentional about organizing your schedule and show up to school functions and volunteer all the time. But I'm painting that in my head as being so idealistic when I've lived that before. And I know that when I was a stay-at-home mom, I was like, oh, it would be so nice to be going to work right now and have a nanny show up. But now, you know, I have a almost full-time nanny and she's wonderful, but she's not a parent. You know, she's not me. She's not my husband. So I think that gets hard too, because now I constantly feel guilty, constantly feel like I need to be more involved with his school. I should be showing up. I should be volunteering in his classroom. I need to know the ins and outs. And I think especially related to like whatever the specific disability is with Asher, a lot of his disability revolves around food. And so sometimes I feel like, wow, I am really dropping the ball because I'm not cooking as nutritious as I should, or I'm not being as mindful. Whereas when I was a stay-at-home mom, I feel like I was very, very disciplined with what he ate and all of that. So I think the guilt is so heavy either way. Well, and that's kind of like the whole focus. Because at first I thought it might be like, this section will be, oh, poor people who wanted to work, but they can't. We'll talk about how hard that is. Then we'll move on to the people who are working. And I was like, this is really kind of weird. Like, almost like, hey, hey, like, these are the people who get to work and this is how great it is for them. But then reading through, I was like, no, like, either right. way, I mean, like, there were a couple people and they were like, I love my career. It's been awesome. Things have gone really well. And you're like, I'm so glad. Like, that's awesome. That's worked out so well. But for most people, there is our children's disabilities and medical complexities just affect every aspect of our lives, right? So it's either going to make it so, like, you're kind of forced to quit or you choose to quit because you know that that's best for them or whatever, or you're working and it's a struggle, right? Like with the therapies and everything, like all the added extra things that need to be done for your child. Like if they just have these extra needs, that's just that much harder to also be working on top of that. And actually I have this message that I wanted to read. I want to quote her because I thought this is going to resonate too with people. So she works. She said, on one hand, I'm so lucky to have been given a tremendous amount of flexibility and understanding in my current role, which I feel like that was a recurring theme. Like if someone's working, it's because their supervisor is really flexible because you can't unless you yes. call and be like, I'm at the hospital again. But I kind of feel like because I'm unlikely to find that flexibility elsewhere that I cannot leave. I'm stuck staying mm-hmm. here and probably getting paid considerably under what I could get elsewhere if I want a job that continues to be flexible. I had so many larger dreams of where my career was going to take me, and now I feel like I have to just feel lucky that I'm one of the few who could keep working at all. Sometimes I wonder if I should have quit years ago since I feel like I'm actually in a worse place career-wise than I was when I first started this position. It feels like I'm doing a bad job with my career, but also like I'm doing a bad job of being a completely present caregiver for my daughter, too. Meanwhile, my husband, who took on less of the medical and childcare responsibilities early on, has made huge progress in his career. So you can just see, like, I think people might see her and be like, oh, that's so great. She works in, like, this medical lab, and that's, like, so cool. But, I mean, like, all of that, that's so hard. So hard. And, I mean, you can just see so many themes in what she said that I already instantly can relate to. I know so many people will feel the same way, but, like, you feel sort of, like, chained to your it doesn't sound like she loves her Mm -hmm. job but she feels like she has to stay because it works with her schedule and also there's that resentment towards her husband that he was able to which just sucks I just hate that because like 
you can step away from it and be like, I'm so happy that my husband has a good job and that he's doing well in his career. But there is also that resentment of like, wow, I didn't get to have the opportunity because I'm trying to balance it all, yeah. right? That's what it comes down to. Just feeling this huge sense of overwhelm. I'm going to say stereotypically for moms, not always, of course, but stereotypically for moms where because some have stayed home full time, they become the default parent. They're having to manage all the care be in this like medical position that maybe they never asked for. And while on one hand, we're so grateful to be able to do it and there's nobody else we would want to do it. It's also something that feels so hard and scary and anxiety provoking and like truly changes our lives and our identity. Yeah. And also, also, also where you say like, oh, I'm so grateful that like, you know, my partner has a job where they can support both of us or all of us without me working. I mean, there's also, there were plenty of people too that said like, I hate not being able to contribute financially when we need it the most. Like I would love to be working and contributing. Like we have so many medical bills, so many more expenses than we used to. And I can't work because if I do and we get qualified care for my child, that will take more than my paycheck. Right. And so it's just kind of like this horrible, like lose, lose situation. You're like, we need money, but like, I can't Mm -hmm. work because I also need to take care Mm -hmm. of my child. And so that's just, I think that financial strain on top of all of this, obviously, it just adds so much stress. Not to mention, like, how do we find good childcare? Like, if you have a medically fragile, let's say, one-year-old, how are you going to find a daycare where you trust them to care for your child? Or even, like, a nanny, it's not easy to do to find someone that's going to be invested and take it seriously and skilled enough. Anytime I see someone post, like an in my neighborhood Facebook group or something, like I'm looking for a sitter Thursday night. And then someone's like, oh, my 16 year old daughter can come over and do it. I'm like, I wish, Mm -hmm. like, there's no way a 16 year old could come into my house and watch my son. Like, you know, like need someone with like a bachelor's degree in nursing or early childhood education or something. And I don't know, that feels really overwhelming too. I think some parents are like, if I could find good childcare that I trusted, that would accept my child, yeah, maybe then I would consider going back to work, but it's just hurdle after hurdle, you know? Yeah, plus the expense of it. And like a lot of people also mm-hmm. talk about, and I've heard this other places too, but a lot of daycares won't take a child, even if they're still in diapers. Like, right, that's not even like a medical right. need, but if they're not toilet trained, like right. they won't even accept them. And so you're like, what am I supposed to do then? To hire a qualified nanny, I mean, hiring a nanny at all <laughs> is so expensive. And so, so to get expensive. someone who like has any kind of medical training or is willing to be trained in that way, I mean, is so hard. And then also like in-home nursing, right? Some people have in-home nursing, but there were also several parents who talked about they would have the in-home nursing, they'd get them trained like, great, now I can work, right? Because they're going to be with my child. I don't want to get in their way anyway. It's kind of awkward. But then notoriously, they don't show up. And so then you're like, three no-shows this week. I can't keep calling into the work being like, sorry, my child's nurse just didn't come. And so then they end up quitting. And so that's just so hard too, because it's kind of this false promise of someone caring for your child when they're like, they're super flaky. So, and obviously Mm -hmm. that's not always the case, but we have a whole episode about that situation, which comes out a few weeks, but like, it's just, it's another layer too. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm excited for that one. (laughs) Something else that I was thinking about too, is the identity. You know, we touched on that a little bit, but I know for me, going to my job and being able to be particularly in my job, be a therapist, talk to other people about their problems and feel like I'm helping people, that really helps me escape from the stress of my own home. And 
it helps me feel like an adult again. It helps me feel like, okay, I'm passionate about something. I find value in this. I find worth in this. And I know many, many parents would say, I find value and worth in being a stay-at-home parent, of course. But for me, being able to go to work has been really helpful for my mental health. And I think, like I said earlier, the absolute hardest time in my life was when I was Asher's full-time caretaker. It just, for me, that identity felt really stressful. Mm -hmm. And I was so anxious at that time in my life. But now that I've been able to step away and have a career separate from him, my anxiety has really reduced. So I'd be curious too, like, and maybe there's a poll we could put up later, but do stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home parents feel like their anxiety is increased from being the sole caretaker or maybe their anxiety is decreased because they get to have more control or be more like in the day-to-day details? Yeah, that would be really interesting. I think it all has to do too with like choice. Like if you feel like, oh, I was going to stay home anyway, like it's still obviously really hard, but if you're like that's not something that you feel is like kind of like taken from you or ripped from you. I think that would probably be easier emotionally to handle that rather than like, I was about to start working. Like what the heck? Like I worked really hard to get to this position and I can't, like I literally can't, whether that's like, you know, you can't find the childcare or you're like, I don't trust the child, you know, whatever it is. Like I can't in quotes, but like, I think that probably really impacts it too. And just going through like, there's this message that someone sent that really reminded me of what you said too. She said, Her career was something that she chose, you know, early on before she met her husband, before she had children. And she said she felt like, I'll quote now, the deepest part of my identity was just no longer compatible with a medically complex life. And Mm -hmm. I think that like really hits, right? Like this deep, deep part of your identity, like something you chose long before then. And you're like, this is my sense of self is my career. And I don't think everyone has that attachment, but I think a lot of people do. And so I think having that kind of torn away and be like, she said, it's not compatible with this type of life where you're like, so this deep sense of identity is not compatible with how I have to live now. And I think that can cause so much grief and sadness. And then a few other quotes, too, of, of, you know, some other people said, jobs define you and I have no definition. And this Mm -hmm. other mom, quitting my career has been a total loss of identity that I'm still trying to process eight years in. And another one, I missed feeling like I'm good at something because let's be honest, medical parenthood, especially right after the diagnosis, is a lot of how did I miss this? Why do I suck at this? And so, yeah, yeah, like that lack of like, I like feeling competent, like I'm used to feeling competent at my job and I'm thrown into this job that I had no training for and I'm not qualified for, and I didn't want this. And here I am trying to figure out what the freak I'm doing. (laughs) I definitely felt that way. (sighs) I I remember so vividly being like, wow, I am a good therapist. I like my job. I chose my job, but I am so bad at (laughs) putting a G tube or I mean, an NG tube in. Oh my God. (sighs) I'm like, how can I go from feeling competent in my job in one minute to like, crying about putting an NG tube in the next moment. Like, wow, that's a crazy. Yeah. And then that reminds me too, lest anyone sitting here thinking like, man, those nurses are so lucky because they have the nursing background and then they're the parent. But it's interesting because there were several people who talked about how triggering it is now to take care of their child and, you know, have like the hospitalizations and all that medical trauma and then to go to the hospital 
and work at the ER or work in oncology or whatever, where you're like, I'm delivering this news or like, I understand too well what they're going through. Yes. And so one was, she was like, I need to transfer out of like being at bedside. She's like, I just cannot handle this anymore. Cause it's so triggering for me to be there. Yes. Or special ed teachers. <laughs> so I know hard. I have special ed teachers who are disability parents as well, or like speech therapists or anything like that. And yeah. It's just too close to home. Too close, too to, close home. to home. That's right. <laughs> And I've heard of people who become nurses or, you know, jobs in like that field because of their child. And I think that would feel different. Like if you chose that because of it and you're like, this is what I want to do now. Yeah. But I mean. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I think twice you've said, and I think this is a really good point. Like it matters if you had a choice or not. We're still allowed to grieve the things that we choose. You know, if it was like, in my case, my husband and I discussed, we decided it was the best choice for me to stay home. I still grieved that. But I think when you really, really feel like it's been absolutely taken away from you, that you had no other choice, that's when it feels so raw, I think, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe that's our theme for this episode is like, man, if I don't have a choice in it or I feel like I don't have a choice. I mean, even arguably like your decision, I think that's borderline. I feel like that. I agree. You didn't necessarily have much choice in that. I think like, what was I going to do? Like, Asher was 12 weeks old. He had just came home from the NICU. Like, Mm. what was I going to do? Start applying for jobs and be like, and also I'll need to definitely take off one afternoon a week to go take him to specialist appointment. And then, you know, I was 26 Mm. also at the time. I think that's important to point out. I was pretty young and I'm going to try and find Mm. a nanny that can like manage all of this. Also as a new therapist, I remember, I'll just say this openly. My first therapist job paid $35,000 a year. So I was like, am I really going to be away from my home for that long and make this big deal about it when I'm making like not that much to be living in Chicago. So yeah, like barely paying. That's the, the thing. Sort care, of right? like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's really hard. And then like, also, I guess I really quick too want to like acknowledge the moms who, or the parents who are also working and making that work where we've already acknowledged, like, that's not like, Oh, they're the lucky ones. You know, they've got it easy. Right. And so like, just because, you are able to keep working doesn't make it easy because it's still different than you would have chosen, right? It's still like so much more complicated, which, you know, there's a lot of conversations too about working moms and all the things that we're expected to do with typically developing non-disabled children, right? And so I think that's adding everything on top of that. It's so much. Definitely, because I know even now, like working full-time, I still... We'll have to cancel clients unexpectedly. Oh, my son's homesick or, oh, I had to take this appointment. You know, I thought I would be done at 11, but the appointment's going over. I have to cancel my one o'clock. These things happen all the time still. Mm. And I wouldn't even say that I'm like my husband. And I do a pretty good job of sharing the like default parent, you know, but we still have to cancel yeah. work or take time off here and there for it. Absolutely. Mm. I'm going to read to like this message from a mom where she talks about that. She said, I worked hard for my master's and landed a decent job. Then I had my medically complex daughter and got so burnt out trying to handle everything myself, my job, medical caregiving things, motherhood. I ran on no sleep, used all my PTO for appointments and admissions, like hospital admissions, and often brought my laptop to hospital admissions and worked into the early morning just to hold a job. I can't even, right? I'm like picturing like the early days of like going to the hospital all the time. I'm like, And trying to hold down a job while you're there, I have so much respect for that. But she says, because I had to financially. So there's another like forced into it feeling, right? Like of like, I don't even have a choice. 
There was so much added stress during that time. Lots of feelings of having to do it all. And while I did have significant help from my mother in picking up shifts that were not filled by nurses because they kept flaking. This is actually one of the guests for the episode about in-home nursing. So I know that they kept flaking. She said, I still couldn't do it all. My mental and physical health suffered. I had to leave my job because it was all too much. We made a lot of sacrifices and still screwed ourselves over financially for it a bit, but I couldn't do it anymore. I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but I absolutely needed to so that I wouldn't be at the mercy of someone else's schedule anymore. Our lives needed me to be more available to my daughter and to her needs than my job would allow, even with a lot of flexibility from my supervisor. Have you interviewed her already? Yeah. So was she resentful? That's what I want to know. Like, or did she feel like grateful or is it both? I mean, so we didn't talk too much about that aspect in the episode about in-home nursing, but definitely resentful towards the in-home nursing, not being a reliable source of care. Because I feel like if that would have been the case, right? Like in this perfect world where you have an in-home nurse that's loving and caring and doesn't do really dangerous things and actually knows how to do medical stuff. I mean, like it's ridiculous. Oh man. Then, then- that could be doable, yeah. right? And even then, it's still hard, though, because as much as you have great nannies or great in-home nursing, like, there's still so much that falls on you as a parent, right? There's some things that they can't replace. And so, like, if they're going into, the like, an emergency hospitalization, like, the parents are going with them. Yeah. All of this, to me, just highlights, which I'm sure so many of your episodes do, highlights the way that people with disability are overlooked and like underserved yeah and by default then parents of kids with disabilities as well like our system is just not set up to support people that have chronic health issues and I mean the fact that it's so difficult to find an in-home nurse to me just says that it's like people with disabilities they're like forgotten yeah and I love that there are so many disabled people and their parents like advocating for change there. Cause I know there's, you know, even specifically if we're going to use the example of in-home nursing, like this is not okay. Like we will not be ignored, Yeah. which again, that's a whole thing too, where you're like, and you're so overstretched with all of your other right. responsibilities right. and trying to like advocate for this change. But I have to read this. This one mom was like, she said, I feel robbed of being able to meet my full potential, not by my son, but by the system. I just like that sums it up really well, what you were saying. Yep, exactly. That's huge. Yeah. And I think, you know, the resentment here on both sides of this, whether you have a job or you don't have a job, and but it's just not ideal because of the extra needs and stuff. I mean, it's like, I think there's just so much resentment. That's one thing I want listeners to feel from today's conversation is that you are not a bad parent for feeling resentful of the situation. Because I imagine that that feels shameful, right? Like, oh, I'm sitting here with my child taking care of them. I should feel so lucky I can. Or does that mean I don't love my child? Or gosh, I'm so ableist because of like, oh, they're disabled and I'm feeling upset about this. But like, I think it is absolutely understandable and natural to feel that resentment and that sadness and that grief. Like that one parent said they're still processing eight years later. Yeah. It's a real loss. And I think if we're being honest, like under the resentment is always, like you said, grief. It's always grief. Mm. That's like, this choice was taken away from me. This isn't the life I expected. I wanted to be like dropping my kid off at soccer practice, not off at speech therapy. Like underneath that resentment and blame, which I think feels sort of empowering to be able to be like, I am so mad at the in-home nurse. Like it's her fault. Mm-hmm. 
it's so much easier. And I'm not saying that that's not valid because that's totally valid. But I think underneath that is grief that it's like, I'm so devastated that I even have to have a home health nurse because this is not the life I expected for my child, you know? And that's tricky too then, because I think then all those things that you said, like guilt and like, is that an ableist view? You know, is there something wrong with me for saying that? But, you know, you and I will be the first to say like, you're allowed to grieve the fact that your child's suffering. You're allowed to grieve the fact that like your child doesn't get to do what other kids get to do. And similarly, exactly the same, the fact that you don't get to have the life that you expected, you know, it's both. It's for them and it's Mm -hmm. for us. Yeah, totally. And I think there's also like, and we talk about this a lot too, but like this importance of remembering that like, you feel a lot of different emotions at one time and they can even be like really conflicting emotions. You're like, wait, I feel like so resentful towards my spouse. He can work all the time. I can't work and I don't get that career. He's progressing more than me or I don't know. It's so hard to work or whatever. But then also like, oh, I'm so grateful for these moments with my child or like, oh, I'm so grateful, you know, that I can or whatever. Like, and you can feel the different things all at once. And I mean, we're human. So like, we're going to feel all the things. (laughs) Is there anyone that said out of all the people that responded that they were like, I'm so grateful that I get to be a stay at home mom. Like I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it so much. So I think like a lot of the gratitude messages I got were actually about being able to work, yeah. which I think is super interesting. There were a few that said, I'm grateful that I can take care of my child and they get the care they need, like knowing they deserve that better care that they can offer. So that was definitely there. But there were quite a few messages of like, I'm really grateful that I'm able to work at all, knowing that not everyone can with that situation. Yeah. But like with my situation, I was like, Justin, I was like, this is like kind of an ironic episode because... I kind of have like the opposite situation for most people where it's like I was a stay-at-home mom and I kind of pictured that. But I also, I love to work actually. So I was a stay-at-home mom, but I wouldn't say I was like thriving or like, this is the best ever. I would never want to work. Like I, I know people like that. I'm like, "Mm, you're different than me (laughs) because like I love to make money and I love to work and I love having like the colleagues. It's just so much more structured, which I like. But I mean, there are also things about being like a stay-at-home mom I think are really cool So then when a few years after Kimball was born and I was like, oh, I want to start this podcast. And I started working part time on that, like 20 hours a week. I mean, it was during nap times and before they'd wake up in the morning after they went to bed. So it was like without any childcare. And it was, oh my God, I didn't have any, like I had no, no, no me time. I did that for like two years. Yeah. Wow. But I do remember this feeling of like, oh, I really liked having something else. Even though, see, this is so funny, and I feel like this is similar to you, even though I was sitting here talking to parents about disabled kids and being a parent, so it's, like, about the same thing, but it feels different when it's, like, your job is not necessarily taking care of the kids, you know? I mean, it gives you purpose, you're supporting other people, you're finding meaning through your work, which is so important. Yeah, and it felt very, like, intellectual aside from that. And then it's interesting where, I guess this is where I'm trying to get to, is, like, because of Kimball's disabilities and medical complexities, I have this job. Rather than like, because he has these medical complexities, I can't have a job. Yeah. I would have no reason to start this podcast if it weren't for him. And so it's, that's kind of an interesting like spin on it. Yeah. What you're saying is that having a child with a disability changed your identity in some ways. And yeah. it changed it in ways that you've adapted to and that has brought you meaning and you've like pivoted in your passions because of it, 
which I bet a lot of people can relate to. I would have never started an Instagram account Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for having a kid with a disability and like running into the complications that I was dealing with and like the emotional struggles. So I think that's a really cool thought to think about how has your child's disability shaped your identities in ways that you like adapted to. I think that speaks to Mm -hmm. resilience and definitely strength for sure. Yeah. Well, and also I feel like it has a lot of properties of having a job, right? Even like your Instagram account or like other parents who like to do a lot of advocating on like social media or like, you know, they start a nonprofit for research for their child syndrome or they like, you know, leading out on these different things, even if you're not getting paid, like that still has a lot of the attributes of having a job. Like, you know, we wouldn't have gone towards that if our child didn't have some really rare genetic syndrome to raise funds for. I don't know. So I think it it is interesting where I think we can find other ways to kind of like have that identity and like that purpose. Yeah. But it's still harder though, because you still have a child who needs appointments and hospitalizations and therapies. And so like, that's still going to be a trickier thing. But I know there were a couple parents who said like, they kind of pivoted in their job. Like one became a freelance copywriter because that was something that would allow that flexibility. And she was like, I really love this job. So I'm glad I had a reason to like, look for something like this and pivot. Yeah. Ultimately that's like part of a huge reason that I started my private practice as a therapist. Cause I was like, I really need to be in a position where I don't have a boss that I have to say, Oh, I had to cancel two sessions this week or whatever, you know? And it's also helped Mm -hmm. me create a practice where I have so much empathy towards parents. I've been able to create a practice that reflects my values as a parent of a child with a disability. So of course, not everybody Mm -hmm. has that option in their career, but yeah, just like the person that's freelancing, even you, some people are able to shape their careers around their needs too, which is Mm -hmm. so lucky and ideal. That feels really, really empowering when you're like, kind of like that quote earlier where she said, the deep part of who I am is not compatible with this type of life. And I don't know this is possible for everyone. You know, there's a lot of factors into this, But to be able to be like, and now we're shifting and now that deep part of who I am is married to medically complex parenting and look at this new sense of purpose I have that incorporates both sides of that identity. Because I do think, I mean, maybe it takes time, but like that does become a huge part of our identity is that type of parenting. And so if they come together, that feels really cathartic. And that's one of the coolest things about the disability community too, is that you see, like I put a thing out once because I have that directory that I've been working on for therapists of parents of kids with disabilities. And I hit a wall where I was like, I am not, I don't know anything about website design or anything like that. So I put a thing out, like if anybody knows anybody who could help me design this website or whatever. And then like multiple people messaged me and, you know, I'm always struck by how like, disability doesn't discriminate. It can impact anybody, any financial status, any career, any race, Mm -hmm. ethnicity, religion. And so one of the coolest things about the disability community is that there's so many different types of people in it. And it's cool to see people with different careers and different strengths, like join forces to help each other out. And so that's a way that we can find like our career passions to be like, oh yeah, I know how to design a website. I can help you with this directory. You know, like that's what I do in my full-time job or I don't know. So it's cool to see how people's careers can sort of like strengthen the disability community because we all join forces to help each other out sometimes. 
Yeah. And vice versa, like your experience with disability, whether you're the parent, you're the person or whatever, like how that can strengthen your career. Right. right like exactly. A, now I have the spin on it. I mean, even like as you're speaking, I was thinking about even like the rare life team, right? Like where we have like Alyssa who edits and she has a child with a medical complexity, but she like by profession is a podcast editor and producer. And so we were able to get joined up and that's been super great because she understands the content and I understand her life. So if like, she's like, oh, sorry, I had to go to appointments. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. And then like Brittany who helps with the fundraising and like her son passed away from a rare condition and she's really passionate about this topic and she's able to add her like fundraising skills. And so it is really cool to see that all come together in like kind of a cheesy way, but like, yeah, I love the idea. And I think like for people listening right now who are like early on or just really swamped to be like, heck no, like I am barely surviving. I think that like is totally okay to be honest with where you are right now. Like I'm not interested in that, but maybe down the road, there could be a way that my career or like what I would have wanted to do. And then like what, has happened in my life with my child's disabilities and stuff like where those could come in together and I could do something that feels really rewarding because I think that one thing too like reading through these messages is that like people who are feeling rewarded by their job or like really love it and are able to feel really present that becomes an escape for them and is like really like energizing it doesn't like wear them out the way that you would if you're doing something you don't really want to do but it's the people who are in a job that like it's not necessarily as compatible with that way of life or they feel like, oh, this is no longer what I want to do. It hits too close to home, whatever. That's when it's really, really hard, especially because you don't necessarily want to be there. But if it's something you're like, yes, I get to go to therapy and this will be so great. I can help these clients. That's going to be something that actually fuels in a lot of ways. Obviously, you're still tired, but you know what I'm saying? Like it gives you that fuel. I also think that a branch from this conversation would be like giving parents permission to try to fight against that. Like if you heard the term, like the golden handcuffs, like such a good job that you're like chained to it. Like sort of what she was saying Mm -hmm. earlier about like, I can get time off and they're flexible. Maybe we have great health insurance. So I feel like I have to stay at this job for the sake of my family. I would want parents to know, like you have permission to start looking for a new job. I know it's not that easy. And I know there's going to be pains of like switching your insurance over, or maybe it doesn't have as much PTO, but like I want parents to know, like, I don't feel like you have to stay stuck. Like if you have opportunities, try and look for them. And I think that's where the resentment really gets kicked up when you're like, well, this is just my life now, even though I didn't want it, but like, oh, like, can you just take some time and let yourself look for a new job, spread the word, start networking. Like Mm -hmm. it's not hopeless. I think that's the difference of like, if I were to have this conversation 11 years ago versus right now, back then I would have been like, oh my gosh. I'm probably not going to be a person with a career. And now anyone that knows me knows that my career is such an important part. So I know it's not a quote unquote happy ending for everyone, but I want people to feel encouraged that like, it's not the end of the road and keep looking. And if you hate your job and you feel chained to it, like don't give up. Also, like you deserve to be happy too. Like, yes, you need all those things like your PTO and your health insurance, but also like, I want people to be happy in their careers too. Yeah. So just struck me too. Like, even if it's just the social life, because that's one thing that a lot of people talked about grieving is like my social life was totally wrapped up in my job and I had all these great friends and then I had to quit. And so there's also like that aspect. So if you look on the flip side of that, if you're someone who is working currently and you're just like, meh, like even finding a job that's like not as prestigious or like, I don't know, I had some really fun friends at the grocery store when I was a checker (laughs) like in college. And so like, I think like looking at like, what do you want from your job? 
can be a really big part of that. Like, what's my priority here? Is it just a social outlet with also making money? Like, I think that would be totally valid, too. Like, I just want to be an adult and talk to adults for like 10 hours a week. Like, can we swing that? Yeah. What do you need your job to be? That's probably a good starting point. Like maybe some people are like, no, I need a job where I make a hundred thousand dollars a year and have health insurance and PTO. Okay. That's your starting point. Maybe other people are like, I need not that much money and could work part-time and really just want a community of people that I like. So that could be a good starting point. I think like, what's your bare minimum of what you have to have from a job. And then you look at your options from there, or is it something that you know, maybe you're willing to get some more training on, oh, I'm going to go back and get my certification and being a personal trainer or something so that I can create my own schedule. And don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to think outside of the box. I know it's not that, but I just don't want us to feel limited by this. Yeah, totally. I think that can be really empowering. I think I don't want like stay at home parents to also feel like left out of like, what about me? Yeah, that's. I don't know if we have tips too for like that aspect. If they're like, no, I mean, like, I know I can't have a job right now. So right. Or I don't even really want to. Well, I guess we're mostly speaking to people who have some level of grief in that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, also, I don't want to assume that everybody who's staying home is sad about it. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword. Like, I know that there's people that are home that are so grateful for it and feel like this is exactly where I need to be. It's not perfect. It's not great all the time. And so to those people, I would say, like, just make sure that you are getting time for yourself. Like, maybe when your partner gets home, if you have a partner, like, try to meet up with a friend or find a friend that you really trust that you can swap childcare with so that you can go out and like, not just go out and get groceries, but go out and like, go for a walk or like meet up with a friend or go do something that you love. You have to make sure that there's space for you scheduled in there too. And schedule doctor's appointments and dentist appointments for yourself too, right? Not just for your kid. Yeah. So what other things do you think that we can offer to parents? Because I feel like it's important that people have, whether they're working or not working, some takeaways of like, how can I find balance if either I'm a working parent and I'm stressed and feel guilty, or I'm a stay-at-home parent and sometimes I struggle with identity. Like, what do you yeah. think, what are some important things that we could offer them? So I have some tips that listeners like provided. And actually, these are specific to working parents of kids with disabilities. I kind of wanted to like plow through these really quick. Yeah. Just to like shout them out there, like a little rapid fire tip session here. Cause it's most people are like, I asked the question, they're like, oh, give me the tips. I have no idea. (laughs) So this one's not surprising. It said flexibility and understanding about your situation is crucial, right? I think that's something we've kind of established. Like you've got to have that flexibility and like being really upfront with your employer if you're getting a job or like this is the situation. And this is how it's going to be. And along with that, there's something called FMLA in the U.S. Yes, yes, yes. I had not heard of this. See, this shows how I'm like not in the workforce. (laughs) It's like in the traditional right. Yeah, FMLA is basically like an extended leave that you can take from work. You apply for it, you get approved for it, and your job's still safe. And I think it's paid. Is FMLA paid? I don't know. It says unpaid. Un- oh, and unpaid. Yeah, which is the really unfortunate part too. But basically it's a leave of absence from your work and your job is still protected. Yeah. And they say that's for like caring for a child or parent who has a serious health condition is one of the qualifiers. So that's definitely like in our community and you get 12 work weeks of leave every 12 month period. So I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people said like, I couldn't do it without that act to protect me to be able to like take that time off and be like, sorry, we're in the hospital for several weeks. Yes. 
and to not lose your job. So that's important. Look that up if you're in the U.S. and you want to know more about that. And then someone said to hire help and outsource where you can. I think that's great if you financially can do that, if that's meals or a nanny or a housekeeper, whatever it is. Someone said that they have found therapists for their child that are willing to do sessions at the daycare or preschool that their child's in. So that's really cool. So you're not necessarily having to like schedule time off for those therapies. I know it's hard if you're not there and you might feel out of the loop, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then someone else said to work remotely as much as possible. I've heard that from a lot of people. So like working from home has been a huge game changer as like with COVID it has made that more normal and more acceptable. A lot of places like being able to work from home has been really great for them. And then one person was saying they alternate schedules with their spouse, taking turns of who takes breaks for therapies and appointments. So that would be like this month, it's your turn to take off for appointments as they come up or like basically you're kind of the default parent so I'm not always the one taking off work for we do that things that come up do it a little bit differently like for some reason it seems like my husband always brings Asher to the endocrinologist and I always deal with the psychiatrist it's like we just have like that's yours this is mine and you schedule when you can do it next I'll schedule when I can do it next so just Hmm. conquer I think that's huge that sounds like that'd be really nice because then you're the one who remembers like from last time it's like important to like have rapport with them and know exactly. what the heck is going on and like then he'll have it in his calendar it's like you're in charge of that yeah I like that someone said take time for yourself when you can schedule mental health days I know it's easier said than done but that is really great if you can figure out how to do that because it's a lot on your plate if you're working and taking care of your child they said don't be afraid to switch to part-time when full-time isn't working I think that's great Stay really organized with a calendar. They had all these systems they use. Oh, and then this person said, try to find other parents at your organization or your job with disabled kids. You'd be surprised. I think that's a good one. It's really good. Well, I'm thinking about that talk that we did at the bank. UBS. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool to see how many people showed up for that. So there are people, especially if you're at a bigger corporation, there are people there who get it. They're just not talking about it. Yeah, talk about it, man. Like, yes. find your people. I think that would be so cool to be like, oh, PT today, crazy. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, me too. You know, I don't know. I feel like that'd be really cool instead of like hiding away and like, oh my gosh, no one else gets it. I'm such a wreck. I can't focus at work and like thinking you're the only one. Yeah, because then you create a group at your work with 12 parents and you guys advocate for changes. I mean, I know, again, all of us are mm. said than done, but there's strength in numbers. That's for sure. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Okay, and then this last one, they said, build a community around you so when you need help, they're there. Mm-hmm. I really like that too. I think in general, that's really good. But with a job, that would be really helpful. I love all of that. Is there anything you think for stay-at-home parents that we could add? Honestly, mm. some of it goes too. Like hire help if you can. Get support around the house, around your schedule. Yeah. Take me time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Stay organized. That's right. Find your colleagues, right? Find other stay-at-home right. parents that have disabled kids. Like Cute. that would be the same kind of thing. Yeah. And like meet for real. I feel like Instagram and social media is like super great for that connection. But like when you're together yeah, physically, that's a whole different thing. The other thing I was thinking too is like, I know we feel as parents that we have to take what we can get with scheduling about doctor's appointments or therapies, but schedule a time that works for you. Even like, let's say with therapies, you're in a time for a few months that doesn't work with your schedule, but tell your therapist, if a nine o'clock opens, I want it. I want to move to that time. Like, I think that's so important to create a schedule that actually works for you 
even if it's like, because my child goes down for a nap at such and such, or we do this, or this isn't our routine. Like if you're a stay home parent and have the, like, I guess, availability, like fight to make, get the schedule that you need to thrive. Cause so often we just are like, okay, it's their nap time, but it's fine. We'll try it anyway. I mean, I know I've done that back when Asher was little, yeah. he would try and do physical therapy during his nap time and he would literally fall asleep. And I'm like, why? It's not fair to him either, I, right? Yeah. Like, why <laughs> did I say that this would work? This doesn't work. I think it's the people pleaser in us. Like, huh? I definitely, I, I remember when I was like, wait, no. Like, I started like advocating for our own schedule. Like, we're not just like loosey goosey yes. over here. We can do anything you want. Like, we have a schedule too. Yes. I think that is really important. And then, Maybe we'll wrap up with this thought too, and I'll let you like have your wrap up thought. But like, I think kind of going back to what you said in the beginning, Amanda, about how I think this is like a common thing outside of disability parenting too. But I think it's important to remember that like a lot of the time, there's a certain amount of longing for what you don't have. And I have experienced that like intensely, like, oh, I'm a stay at home mom. Oh, those lucky moms who get to work. That would just be so great if I could just work. And then here I'm working like, oh, my gosh, how I can't do it all. This is too much. This is too much. I wish I could just be with my kids. I miss them. And so I think like (laughs) oftentimes you're going to like kind of long for the other thing. And I think recognizing that can be really helpful because you can be like, oh, yeah, like it's a natural tendency to kind of think the other side of the grass is greener and to take that for what it's worth. And that's not going to like minimize like the very valid feelings that you have about it but I think like remembering that aspect of it can be really really helpful and be like okay but like when I wasn't working I really missed this or okay but like when I was with my kids I wish I could be working so like obviously there are things about this that I do enjoy or that are like beneficial Mm -hmm. self-compassion that's what you're saying is like Mm -hmm. if you notice a feeling that comes up that's like I'm unhappy I wish xyz all you have to do is say like yeah I I have compassion on that feeling And I know that it's not perfect for the other side either, you know, like Mm -hmm. be gentle with ourselves as we're trying to figure all this out. And as we have human emotions, because this is really hard and whether you're working or home or working part-time, like we all wish that we were doing it more perfectly. And I saw this quote on our notes for today, perfect is the enemy of good enough. I think that's so important. Like we're all just trying to do a good enough job. That's enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and even just like surviving right? yes. a lot of people it's like let me just survive yes. and figure out how to like not have it be a complete disaster yes. but... <laughs> awesome well thank you so much Amanda I really appreciate you tackling this topic and sharing your own insights too and your experiences with this so thank you thank you you can find several ways to connect with Amanda and with me in the links in the show notes A huge thank you to each and every person who shared their thoughts and feelings about this topic. Every bit of it was used in formulating this episode and helped us know which direction to take it. Also, a big thank you to Amanda for putting on her therapist hat and helping out with topics like this one. And to our podcast editor and producer and graphic designer and assistant and social media manager, (laughs) Alyssa Newtile. You make all of this possible and always make us sound so good. (laughs) Shout out to our board of directors and everyone who has helped us in supporting the community by either sharing the podcast or donating monetarily. Both are so vital. 
Join us next week for a fantastic story episode from mom, Bethany Beasley, known affectionately on social media as Joyful Blondie. You won't want to miss it. See you then.